0: It starts with a whisper. Are you saying there's going to be a mutiny? Becomes a conspiracy.
1: Sasuke, what's going on? Move it. And
0: ends. Let's do it. In the ultimate act
1: of betrayal. You'll never get away with this. No. When rebels take control of Voyager. You'll be part of a crew that's going to do whatever it takes to get us home as fast as possible. Can anyone stand in their way? You've just threatened the wrong woman. On the next Star Trek Voyager.
0: I'm your host, Notch Carnegie, and with me, bringing phasers onto the bridge are...
2: Emily Bowen-Marler.
0: And Adam Bowen. Welcome to Strange New Takes. Today we're plugging into the Star Trek.com Villain Showdown yet again. This week's bowl is between Seska and Gul Dukat. Dukat, like my English teacher used to say. I think I said this like several episodes ago. Just say Dukat. <laughs> Gul Dukat. But anyway... We are t- today going to recap an episode featuring Seska because we did Dukat another time. Uh, we, we did an in Discretion, today we're going to do Worst Case Scenario, which is the
1: 25th episode of the third season of Star Trek Voyager. Follow us on social media. That's at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, make sure to tell your friends about the podcast and give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps us show up in the feeds.
2: And, you know, as always, we just want to remind you that we are going to spoil not only this episode, but all episodes of Star Trek. Maybe there will be 47 references to different Star Trek episodes. Who knows? Um, But we might spoil some other shows as well because we've been known to do that, too. So just, you know, be ready for it.
0: You know, you guys, I I missed last week's episode, of course, and you all always do a good job uh, regardless of whether I'm around or not. So I, I... I always appreciate the episode, but I was listening to it in the car, the one that y'all made last week with uh, Deja Q, and I kept wanting to like, I I was like, I was feeling some feeling, and I was like, what's happening? I was like, no, I just, I'm trying to, I would like to speak up and share my opinion I'm so used to (laughs) as the three of you, to like also be able to contribute, that it was just like, "Ah, I can't. You know, I can't do that right now. I'm listening to a recording, and it was, it was
1: a little strange. frustrating. Yeah, yeah I, I, I get that strange. exact same feeling when I listen to one of the episodes I'm not on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: Sometimes right. I'll jump on to Slack and, and share what I'm thinking. <laughs> like, I'll pause the episode and jump on it and share <laughs>
0: Right, right, exactly. No, it was a very strange feeling. The first time I felt that. So, uh, good job, because clearly I'll had some uh, hot take opinions that I wanted to be a part of. But uh, anyway, this week, of course, we're not we're not talking about Deja Q. We're talking about Worst Case Scenario. As I mentioned before, it's the 25th episode of the third season of Voyager. Personal favorite of mine, back when I used to be a huge Voyager fan. It's written by Kenneth Biller, directed by Alexander Singer. And the in-universe date is 50953.4. Translates to 2373. We always start our episodes with our strange new takes, again. So which of you has a strange new take for me?
1: I think I'll start out for us uh, this time. I would say go watch For All Mankind. Uh, the last episode of season three just came out, and the show is just amazing. Uh, it's some of the best sci fi out there, I think. Uh, and it feels very grounded as far as the science goes. So it's not a lot of like. Um, Not like Star Trek. (laughs) Uh, For the uh, the episode "Strange New Take," um, I noticed that a fly lands on Paris's plate around the forty-four minute forty-five second mark. uh, For real? Yeah, in the mess hall scene at the end of the episode.
2: I have to go Uh, watch it now.
1: (laughs) So uh, this confirms that cafeterias in the twenty fourth century are just as gross as they are today.
2: Oh my goodness. Well, my strange new take is just like how screwed up time gets when you have gone on vacation and then you come home and then somehow your whole family gets COVID not related to the vacation, just coincidentally. And so then you all have to isolate for various numbers of days, depending on how the illnesses are staggered. And then you realize that when you came back from your trip, you told someone you would check on something on the calendar and it's like three weeks later and you never did. But it's because of this like time vortex that happened. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's just really crazy. (laughs) That just totally screws up everything. So it's my strange new take is that COVID plus vacation plus summertime can just really create some sort of weird temporal anomaly, I think, where time just <laughs> goes away. So my strange new take on this episode. Um, I think I found myself thinking in this episode that this must be the episode where um, uh, Garrett Wong and Robert Duncan McNeil were talking about the colors of the uniforms Because Robbie wears the yellow um, uniform because they were talking about that. And I remember Garrett was saying something like, oh, yeah, Robbie, you look really good in that yellow. I look terrible in the yellow. I was so... Upset that they had me wear a yellow uniform for the duration of the series because it just doesn't look good. And Robbie's like, "No, Garrett, I think it does look good on you." What are you talking about, anyway? So that like distracted me for a few minutes in the middle of the episode. (laughs) What Robert Duncan McNeil looked like in the yellow uniform. I mean honestly
1: I'm like most upset when I see a character in the the color that's different from where from where they are the majority
2: of the time. Yeah, it's very it's very jarring. It doesn't it doesn't look right at all, which but for him it worked really well. That's but this is why they had to open it up with Balana so that yes. I mean, I think their intention was that you wouldn't catch on right away that this wasn't a real Oh, yeah. And it it had been um, long
1: enough that I I had honestly forgotten uh, the setup for this. I'm like, yeah, yeah. End of season three is like really late to do a Maquis plot. (laughs) (laughs) I know.
0: (laughs) Well, I I thought that this was a much later season episode, actually, because Worst Case Scenario used to be, again, one that I really liked back in the day. And I I could have sworn it was like season six, so it was kind yeah, of it's good
1: enough to be in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so I was I was I was surprised by how early it was. Well, um, I'm gonna jump into Emily. Your strange you take done. Can I jump into mine?
2: Yeah, yeah, go. Cool.
0: Okay. Um, number one, I, I guess my real life strange you take is it is beautiful when the wet summer cracks and the first half pieces of fall come through and the days become like 75 max uh temp in the day Played some golf today it was gorgeous golf weather it was overcast the ground was biting just right and it was it was just wonderful i didn't even break much of a sweat and i pushed my golf bag around the entire nine holes so like this is this is the best time of the year for that
2: we two... live in different states <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: yeah like i think yes. our summer is scheduled for another month or so yeah yes. it's gonna be yes. like
2: 97 tomorrow <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Minnesota is a, is a little
0: different, y'all. Secondly, I just wanna—I mean, I, I don't know. So, so the last time that we we I did one of these 90s episodes, so I think in Discretion, I praised the set design and I was like, "Oh my god, look at all these practical sets and how amazing it is." I don't know. This time, I was I was looking at some of the Voyager sets and just kind of they just seemed very plywoody and kind of uh, a little little claustrophobic actually i i don't know i was less impressed with them than i have been in the when i used to watch it pre like digital sets you know mm-hmm. um so that was my kind of overriding impression in in of the, of the visual design of, of star trek voyager which maybe it is a little is a smaller
2: set i mean it would you know they're on a smaller ship so it wouldn't be you know yeah, maybe, yeah, i, I, I think I, I noticed a little one.
1: bit of that with the jeffrey's tubes like the when mm. he starts pushing on the on the pad it's like this is a piece of paper that's taped to the wall
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so so but, that, but that's neither here nor there and i think while i was watching the show you know close to its its actual studio or uh, tv run i actually enjoyed the sets a lot so i think this is just looking back at something that's now 35 years old and mm-hmm. with with some uh or not 35 years 30 25. years old, yeah. 25 to 30 years old mm-hmm. and, and having a little bit too harsh of a judgment so all right, well, let's jump into actually talking about this episode. Here it is. Uh, here, here's what the summary of the episode is on, on Memory Alpha. A buried hello. I don't know what's happening in my pronunciation today. A buried hollow novel, hard, okay. a buried hollow novel with high entertainment value depicting a Maki mutiny is discovered. That's it. This is this is not the guy who wrote the Discovery season four <laughs> <laughs> recap.
2: The Discovery season four recaps were basically the same for about four or five at the end.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the exactly. That was the problem too. <laughs>
2: the, the end of the galaxy as we know it. <laughs>
0: Burnham must stop the end of the galaxy because of the DMA. And, and anyway, um, here's here's a little bit more. I'll extrapolate a little bit. Basically, Tuvok has created a tactical simulation uh that he he tries to delete balana finds it on some uh, piece of computer storage media she activates it figure thinks it's some sort of cool holo novel where there's a mutiny on voyager and she spreads the word when tuvok reopens the novel to to finish writing it because everyone on the ship enjoyed it so much when he reopens the holo novel it turned out Seska has reprogrammed it to kill him and he and paris must escape the the clutches of a holodeck without safety protocols can i do that I get, do that justice y'all
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah absolutely all right great i don't know how many people actually watch the old episodes before they listen to our like retro recap podcast so i've always found it's helpful to share a few few tidbits about about what happens
1: share with us on social media if you do or do not watch the episode and we'll uh we'll learn yeah there you go all right well um Again, as I mentioned before, this used to be one of my
0: favorite episodes when I was kind of obsessed with Voyager. I really liked the idea of them wearing like their old outfits. So like Janeway goes back to the bun that she used to have in season one. Seska comes back. Mm. And they're wearing the old like weird leather daddy maki outfits.
2: Chakotays <laughs> is so weird. Yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> <That's so> weird. <laughs> It's, it's like basically they went to some like rodeo in Colorado and were like that. That's what the Maquis look like.
2: <laughs> that's another funny thing. Garrett and, and Robbie are always talking about Robbie's chest hair in various episodes of Voyager. And he does have it on display in this episode in his Maquis uniform or outfit.
0: Well, yeah. and, and did y'all notice that this So this is season three, right? This is, this is literally the episode before um, Seven of Nine shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so end of season three. So, Cass is about to leave the show. 709 is about to come onto the show. And uh, Jorabi Medalkan McNeil's receding hairline is about to leave the show as well. Because <laughs> they, they restyle his hair. And it's like, you know, early in Voyager, he's got it, like his hair like pulled back so you can see the like hairline very clearly. But then mm-hmm. later in Voyager, he gets a little like spiky look. And I'm pretty sure that also starts happening in season four. So here, like his, if you notice when he's holding the phaser to himself, the early version of himself has his hair pulled back and the later one has a slightly more relaxed hairstyle.
2: Uh, uh, Interesting. Well, and I say this is also getting close to uh, Janeway's shorter hair too, but that's in the middle of season four, I think, when it changes.
0: Right, when she has the the, the, bob or
2: something, not quite a bob, but it's, you know kind of above shoulder length
0: yeah 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 yeah. it's the uh, uh who, who was those famous politician who had that hair i can't remember who it was uh, anyway mm. um well so so we're in kind of a transformative moment in uh in voyager the tv show's history and it's at this moment that they decide to reach back into the past in what to in what basically amounts to a bottle episode right like this is a bottle episode there's one Mm -hmm. like guest star but otherwise there's no like new sets or anything Mm
2: -hmm. one that's so interesting because they're like so like we i mentioned during my strange new take i think they're meaning to confuse us at first like this is actually happening Mm -hmm. and so i was trying to point like pick out what the um what the clues were that they had that kind of let us know that that this wasn't actually really happening. Like I was trying to decide, like, did we do we usually see Chakotay and Balana interacting that way? Because th- that was a little interesting. And, um, it did feel
1: like the the very beginning was <clears throat> like kind of intentionally awkward because she's just yeah. like walking, and then he just like <laughs> immediately. Starts talking to her and he's also he's like rubbing program. his shoulder against yes. hers the entire time they're walking. I'm like so, I don't think this is how people walk. They <laughs> maybe, talk about that a lot. <laughs> they talk about
2: that a lot in um in the Delta Flyers about how close everyone is in the shots. And part of it, I think, is because of the way our televisions were back then, because it was yeah. the 4-3, you mm. know. So in order to get people in the shot, you have to have them be uncomfortably close. <laughs> but yeah, he was definitely all up in her space. But um but I was thinking. Thinking that was one thing that jumped out at me, um, the Tuvok saying that Chakotay is still adjusting to his role as first officer. Yeah, that felt really weird. Um, obviously, then he calls Bolana ensign, so you know. But then there are also little things like just Didn't how um, how uh, Chakotay kept calling Captain Janeway Janeway. He doesn't do that. Like that's like I I feel like it felt really weird to hear him say Janeway. I feel like he always, mm. almost always says the captain, or obviously calls her captain, yeah. but I feel like when he's talking about her, he says the captain. I don't think he says Janeway. I don't know. It just, Or maybe he was trying to say it with kind of a sneering kind of, you know, I don't yeah. know. Um, but there was a, obviously when Seska enters, then we're like, oh, well, yeah, this isn't real, ha- really happening. But th- I found interesting, Balana says it's completely believable. Uh, when she makes that comment to Paris, you're like, oh, it's just it's it's this crazy hollow novel, you know, and it's completely believable. I think it's because it's like we re- like us that's in it. But I don't find Chakotay's um, uh, representation or I don't find Chakotay to be believable. There was nothing in the character of Chakotay in the first several episodes of voyager that made this what he was doing in this scenario believable. So that was definitely Tuvok's spin on making the leader of the maquis ship a little mm-hmm. nefarious, you know.
1: Well, and 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 Paris also like breaks that down uh pretty immediately. He's like, "Oh, cool, let me try this this same thing. I'm I'm excited to see this compelling story." Yeah. He goes against it and then it's just put into brig for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah it, it is kind of interesting that we don't actually get quote-unquote reality until about three-quarter not 3 quarters, about a quarter of the way mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the episode we don't actually get to meet anyone from like the real voyager other than balana and tom
2: yeah
1: yeah I, I i mean i had i had forgotten that this was like how this episode went uh and so yeah i i uh, I, I think I, I was tapping into, like, it was the 90s for me when I was watching this episode, and I was surprised that we were going to uh, depose Janeway at, at, at some <laughs> point uh, in the middle of the third season. <laughs> yeah, right?
0: Well, and, and, but but think about this, though. Like, this, they never showed anything like this actually happening, right, on the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. Which is really odd, considering the the premise. Everyone just really f- fell into place perfectly. And in fact, Tuvok talks about that in in the like briefing room scene where he's like, "I started building this thing in in the beginning of our partnership, but then when it became clear that the Maki were integrating really well, we didn't. I didn't end up using it. I just shelved it because
1: it yeah, became a yeah. danger."
2: Some yeah, of and- them were integrating well. There were a few that weren't, but it wasn't a big clash. Like. Right. Yeah, yeah, such as
1: Seska wasn't.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Seska and jo- Wasn't Jonas the other one that... Was Jonas the... Um, is that the... Or is Jonas that-
1: the Betazoid? No. Jonas? Is
2: Jonas the one... Raphael Sparge? who is he the one that played... He was... Um, uh, I feel like mm. he was in cahoots with Seska when Seska was getting ready to leave the ship. There was another Maquis character. Yeah. Who's in Jiminy Cricket in um, Once Upon a Time? Yeah, so th- this was,
0: um, Time, yeah, he played he played Michael Jonas, but there was also um, there were like a few other guys who had to be sent for like remedial Maki training. There was like an episode mm-hmm. where where a few of them get like singled out for a little bit of. Uh, Extra extra work as well.
2: Yeah. yeah, with Tuvok, right? Doesn't he do yeah. some sort of yeah? Oh
1: yeah, that like, sounds. You hilarious. can't wear that
2: headband in your hair. That's not
1: Yeah, exactly. That's not exactly. <laughs> uh, something that I that I thought was interesting, like related to this, and 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 it like mixes up with my uh uh not knowing that this episode like was actually on the holodeck for the first uh ten minutes or so. Uh I part of me was thinking like, oh, is this like one of the Ronald D. Moore episodes? Like he, he's like he's like no, we need to up the drama, like make everyone hate each other and, uh, <laughs> and whatnot. Uh, but then it it also uh, I was thinking like, and this is also just a sign of like the weakness of Voyager, where like they had this whole mutiny thing and we forgot about it the next episode. It's like oh no, we didn't have a mutiny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but let, let's ask this question, which is that number one, if you found out that your tactical officer had trusted you so little that he, like, made a, a thing where you, like, mutiny and, like, kill your friends, like, would would you be, like, all copacetic like Chakotay was, or would you be pissed off? Like, everyone was like, ha, 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 this hilarious holo novel that was made, but Tuvok literally made a tactical scenario where you have to, like, take out, like, the
1: Maquis. Yeah, I- it it seemed pretty sketchy to me. <laughs> uh, I think,
2: well, this yeah. is one of the things about Chakotay. Like, I feel like, I don't know, It because Tuvok said I abandoned it pretty early on because it was clear that we were integrating. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, weren't they, I mean, surely all of them had their moments of wondering whether or not this was going to work out the way they'd hoped. Because, you know, there were little clashes with B'Elanna and mm-hmm. um, Janeway and... And, you know, cla- well, Tom clashes don't have anything to do with the Maquis so much. Um, but yeah, anyway, so so I don't know. But I thought I did. I, I have to say I did think, man, Janeway is just so awesome. Like, she's just so badass. She thinks it's hilarious that they're doing this, which I liked. I yeah. I, she doesn't come across as like, I can't believe anyone would do something that would be so undermining. Blah, blah. You know, she doesn't do that, mm-hmm. which is what we see so often in leadership positions. But she's like, you know what? This is a way for people to blow off steam. I think it's great. You know, like, yeah. and I like that she says, I'm, you know, yes, I'm the captain, but I'm also the leader of a community that needs to have outlets yeah. and expressions of art and all. And I just, I just thought she was so cool. And I just love Kate Mulgrew playing Janeway too. Like I just, it's yeah. she's just well, awesome. and, and-
1: that's a good point, because I don't I don't think Picard would have been OK with this. And I think similarly, uh, Cisco might not have been uh, into the whole uh, having a <laughs> sort of like an insurrection against him, like in the in the crew. I I, I don't know. It's it's interesting to um, to think through that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I would have just been sad. That happened on his, on his Pike would
2: have
0: been sad. Mike yeah. <laughs> would have been in that holodeck like every day for the next week, like trying different scenarios as well. <laughs> I feel like he would enjoy it immensely. Um, it, is, it is interesting that, you know, we we get, again, just. The, the the two people that find it, they also, like, the word spreads so quickly around the ship that this thing exists and everybody's not, you know, what, what was it, like, 33 people, different people had played the the 47
1: novel? 47 times. They, yeah. The program
2: has been accessed 47 times by 33 different crew members. And they're yeah, the, all, and the like, doctor,
1: excited. And they all had seen the doctor that day or something because he just told <laughs> immediately everybody. <laughs> yeah. but we
2: all know the doctor who's supposed to be the best at confidentiality is the worst at it, no.
1: That's ridiculous. Yeah, no, he's, uh,
0: he was, he was like, um, this was also, I think, before the holographic, uh, the, the mobile emitter, right? was, was Yeah,
1: I think so.
2: Because
0: yeah. doesn't the mobile emitter, it comes in in Futures, and the episode Futures
1: end with Sarah Silverman. Uh, Wait. With him, right? I thought I it was, trying was to it, remember if that it's 29th it fits... century technology from uh, one, isn't it? Oh yeah, actually, they already had it at this time because that the mobile emitter yeah. comes in.
0: Yeah. Future's End is eighth episode of season three, and so he he'd already have the mobile emitter at
1: this
2: time. Okay. No, so- no, he gets the no, he gets the mobile emitter from um from uh what's his face? Because he's
1: one right? No,
2: no, no, he doesn't. He gets it from is it Sky?
0: Nope, it's Future's End.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He gets it from the from that guy, the billionaire tech guy. He makes him the mobile emitter
0: yeah, yeah. yep. Yeah. Oh. yeah, so he he already had it this time. So the doctor wasn't necessarily confined to Sickbay or the Holodeck, um but apparently the doctor like just loves running his holo programs. Enjoyed it so much then told the entire crew immediately and in one week it's just like spread like wildfire across the <laughs> ship. This is kind of like a mariners program from Laura oh, yeah, that yeah. one episode we all hated. Well, not we all hated. I hated. I, I was then,
1: I was gonna rate it a ten, and then everyone yes. else was like
2: two. I know, and like I oh, know. you guys, I, you guys I'm loved very, it. Su- I'm very susceptible to peer pressure.
0: But yeah, yeah, killing killing your like colleagues and stuff uh, a little awkward in terms of HR. <laughs> um... So, you, you all were talking about the briefing room scene where basically Ray seems kind of bemused. And I was, what I'm trying to understand is, was this an action episode? Was this a comedy episode? Was it a drama? Like, there's a lot of like very strong dramatic elements, but it very quick, it, I think there's a lot of like hilarious comedy in there too.
2: Yeah. Well, like, definitely. Um, I, I, I think the comedy. Is well, there there's a little bit of comedy when Tom is just like, I'm gonna blow this thing up right from the beginning. You know, like I'm totally not gonna go along with the mutiny. So that's that's a little funny. But most of the comedy is in the scenes that are not taking place on the holodeck. Yeah. Um you know, it's like when when uh like that whole thing with Tuvok when Paris is gonna rewrite the program and then oh, Tuvok's yeah, like yeah. I wanted to give you you know, the parameters. What does he say? Um, I thought you might benefit from the original probability studies. You know, yeah. and he's like, <laughs> and Paris' ideas are stupid. Like, his ideas are super dumb. And it's funny, actually, when Tuvok said that and he talked about what went into him making the scenario, um I thought, well, yeah, that is what makes it good because it is believable, even though I didn't think the portrayal of Chakotay was believable. But, um, but he did—he didn't just have them do outlandish things that you wouldn't—that they wouldn't have done. He did try right. to to fit them within their personalities and all of that. So, yeah, he truly well, um, followed the
1: dictates of poetics
0: by right. Tehane, where uh, the character's actions must flow inexorably from his or her established traits.
2: I also love the doctor. I have several brilliant ideas. (laughs) 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 So yeah, all that stuff was pretty funny, you know. Although I have to say it was pretty lame that Bellana, the woman, is the one who's like, there has to be some passion. And I'm just like like because the only entertainment yeah, women can have is romance novels you know and I, nothing's I, I, anything like, I wrong that with romance novels i'm just yeah. saying you know
1: <laughs> well and, and like in terms of like people who on voyager that we've seen enjoy romance novel type things that would have been that would have been janeway's suggestion yeah exactly not not, i don't i don't right. feel like balana that kind of person
2: <laughs> i don't either and also you know i was i found myself thinking because we're watching this this episode sorry my phone just fell we're watching this episode out of context there's a line in it where I was like, wait, are Tom and Bellana together in season three? But they're not. It's just a friend lunch date, I think, that they were having. Because he makes a comment like, we were going to have a lunch date or something. And I was like... What? Wait! Their relationship started that early in the show. I think.
0: I think it may. I don't. Remember. I don't think so
2: because she made. He made a comment later about um maybe we could have a steamy romance pop up between the helmsman and the and the. Yeah, um, I, th- I think this is like the start and she of goes, some tension, in your dreams, but not or necessarily
1: something. the. Um, the actual relationship itself. Well, that's what I yeah. So,
2: but it's just it's interesting to see that they were planting the seeds for that yeah. relationship. Wait, like well, a long time. They were kind of telegraphing that that was gonna happen.
0: So it already, it, I think it's it's already kind of happening. Um, What's
2: it, this, the episode when they get stuck out in the um, in their spacesuits and they finally? Is
1: it that the one it. they inject the
0: warp core? Mm-hmm. She admitted her love for Paris when they both faced death day during of honor. the inc- yeah day of honor.
2: So that's season four. So I don't I don't oh, think okay. they start. I yeah. think they're just laying the seeds for So this is one of the few ways. Tom and Bolana are one of the few ways that um, Voyager does have some carryover threads okay. that carry over across the seasons is the way they develop their relationship, I think.
1: Well, and I, th- I think uh, uh, you and Bill uh, Notch came up with or talked about this in your uh, episode with uh, sort of giving feedback to Alex Kurtzman. That Voyager, uh, like, yes, all the episodes are almost entirely separated from each other, but there are, like, character developments that sort of ha- happen. Or, or, like, there's, mm-hmm. like, the character storylines themselves that have a bit of development, which, yeah, that's that's Tom and Bolana, and uh, some of the stuff with, like, Seven and the Doctor and, and things but like that. But
2: not Harry Kim. Poor and no. not
1: not Harry Kim. And, and, it, and I saw it, like, yeah, we shat on him this episode, too, where he's <laughs> just like, no, no rush, because <laughs> he, he was ready after the thing had been solved. I know, he was so like This sad. is why he's never promoted. <laughs> he's just... Yeah, yeah, Aww.
0: it's like self-referential in several ways. Well, let's, um, let's take a break here. We'll come back and talk about more worst-case scenario, including a
1: discussion of Seska. I don't know anything about Tehane, but I do know what makes an interesting story, and that's unexpected plot twists. If you think I will allow you to turn this program into a parody, you are sorely mistaken. Are you saying that you're going to finish it yourself?
2: Artistic differences?
1: I would hardly call Mr. Paris's ideas artistic. Apparently, my instincts don't comply with the Vulcan dictates of poetics. Well, I've got a couple of suggestions that might help. Now, up until now, the story's been nothing but action, which is fine. But what it needs is a little heart, a little emotion. We are not writing a romance novel, Lieutenant. We? I've decided that your efforts would benefit from my collaboration. Oh, really?
2: Listen, I don't care which one of you is writing this thing. All I'm saying is that there is room in every good story for a little bit of passion.
0: Welcome back to Strange New Takes, we've discovered that Seska appears in one more episode after this, Shattered, Season 7 where different parts of Voyager are in different timelines. And so uh, I think it's Janeway who has to, uh, or I think it's Chakotay who's, who's able to travel between different rooms and he has to yeah. recruit help from different people to try and, uh, including Dr. Kiotica, to fix things. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let's talk about Seska for a second because she doesn't really show up in this episode until the like last half or last quarter of it. But she's the reason that we are doing this episode. <laughs> so nine episodes that she appeared in Voyager. Um, one of the like big baddies in in terms of Voyager. Uh, in fact, she upstages the Kazon. <laughs> <And> <laughs>
2: That's hard to do.
0: First Maj <laughs> color kidding. of the Kazon Nistrum. <laughs> um, so <laughs> <laughs> trash Klingons remember when yeah. Max called them trash
1: <laughs> I mean like really like the the Kazon are like if TNG really went through with the whole Ferengi are going to be the big bads and like just they had like several seasons of it
0: yeah right um, it's it's just I mean so so I guess my, my point was Seska is kind of overshadowed by these clowns um, in her early episodes so what, what do we think about Seska? Um,
1: I mean, so I, it's, it's one of those things like it's been so long since I've, uh, I've seen, uh, uh, ep- episodes with her. So I, I'm, I'm trying to like, I, would be curious to see when that reveal that she is, uh, actually Cardassian, uh, happens. Cause I, I remember that being involved, uh, at, at some point, but, uh, I think, like, um, this, this episode definitely gets into just, like, how much of a, um, I don't know, I, I feel like a lot of times the Star Trek villains have just sort of, like, the obvious flaw that they, that they do, that you just kind of, like, oh, we figure out this thing and then we solve it, but, like, Seska seems, like, uh, extremely competent and, like, one of the more dangerous, uh, villains that, uh, like our Starfleet crews have to deal with, like partly because of how manipulative she is and how much she knows about everybody and the the, the way systems work. Like she's able to sort of predict that, uh, I mean, maybe it's just because uh, 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 Tuvok wrote it and therefore Tuvok is probably going to touch it again. But it, it, it felt like she was, like she knew things about the future in, in how this episode plays out uh, that were interesting.
0: I think the thing that confuses me about Seska is this: she's a Cardassian operative mm-hmm. who signs up to um, basically infiltrate the Maquis uh, disguised as a Bajoran. And then when she's on Voyager, she's unwilling to live by Starfleet rules, so she becomes basically a villain. And there's some like stuff there about how she loves Chakotay and when he like rejects her that mm-hmm. kind of sends her off the deep end and, and into uh, the arms of the Kazon. I just don't... Like, that's my problem with Cesca, is that I think she's, she always seemed like a dangerous villain, but her trajectory didn't... Her story didn't really make sense to me in terms of why she would do the things that she would want to do. I could see her, like being a saboteur to the maquis but like why she hates starfleet i don't really understand and maybe like there's something in the dominion war there that makes it all make sense but i don't really get it Well,
1: with the dominion they don't even know about the dominion war uh because they uh right right but i'm saying yeah. like
0: some maybe something that was revealed in ds9's version of the dominion war like maybe the cardassians always hated starfleet or something i don't know i don't
1: think that's true but i'm just saying like yeah because they, they really haven't had that much contact because i uh uh, it was like at the end of season seven of uh, um, TNG that we even see the first Cardassians, right? Yeah, yeah. they do, like have hair on their faces and shit.
2: So <laughs> well, yeah, the autobiography
0: <laughs> of Catherine Jane Wade, written by Una McCormack, which by the way, read wonderfully by Kate Mulgrew. I've just started oh, need listening to, listen to, it. to it. I have it. Yeah. Really good. Um, it says that basically the Cardassian Union and Starfleet had basically something called the Border Wars right before um Mm. the time of ds9 so there was conflict between the cardassians and starfleet so maybe that's what one of the things that's ticking seska off
2: well and that's kind of what birthed the maquis isn't it like the maquis kind of came out of think feeling that the federation was maybe giving a little too much um to the cardassians or you know conceding too much and so
0: in in the treaty that was signed after that the conflict yeah
2: So, so I, I'm trying to think how many episodes we have with Seska before we know that she's Cardassian. Do you happen to know that off the top of your head? Like, and I guess I'm wondering, like, is that something? Do Do you think they always had that idea that she was Cardassian, or do you think they thought, "Ooh, this would be kind of a cool twist. Let's have her be Cardassian." Really, you know.
0: So it was it was pretty early, and so I think it was. Let me see here. Uh, It was. It was, I think, the first episode that she's, because I think Seska is in Caretaker, but in a different, like she's in a she's in a, a sign in a, in a teal uniform, yeah. and later she comes back in State of Flux, uh, which is the first like major episode she's in, which is the eleventh episode of season one. I think pretty quickly she's revealed as Cardassian in that. Okay. So I, I don't think it takes um too long for them to to figure that out. But yeah, so all I guess all of this is just to say that Seska is, I think, it, episodically she's a dangerous villain and kind of played really well by Martha Hackett. I also have to I have to add here, but I don't think like in terms of like a villain arc, she has the most powerful villain arc in Star Trek or anything. Oh, like for that. sure.
1: Yeah, it, it's it, it's sort of like a um, maybe you have to take it individually uh, in order to. Uh, say that yeah she's she is a uh like a dangerous villain and whatnot. Yeah. Um did so you yeah, know I, the I, name
2: I, of the Maquis ship was the Valjean? I'm yeah. just seeing this in memory alpha.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah oh. it's, it's I have
2: no idea.
0: Yep. It was Sorry, uh, I
2: love Le Miserables. <laughs> yep, <laughs> yep, so I just was like what? Look at this. Well and that makes even that makes it even more interesting that Eddington likes to use Le Miserables as his um you know his uh, literary analogy to what's going on with he and Cisco um, in Deep Space Nine. Anyway, sorry, I totally jumped over something. I just you know made a discovery and had to blurt it out. Okay,
0: all good, all good. Yeah, no. So so the, all, all I'm saying is, I guess you know we should vote for Go, Go, Gal Duc- Ducat, uh in versus Seska this villain showdown.
2: Uh. Honestly, it's like there's really no competition. It just has to be Golducott all the way. Oh, because oh, we have oh, Con. way. I'm sorry, Khan. Khan doesn't know overblown. that there's a that that
1: that you can go above ships.
2: Khan <laughs> is way overblown. It's just that, that's like anyone who oh. watches all of Star Trek. The thing I worry is that. There are people that aren't as familiar with Deep Space Nine that are still big Star Trek fans. So I worry that's going to affect Ducat. We'll see. But I just think, I mean, Gold Ducat is way more developed than any of the other villains that they've mm-hmm. listed in this. Everyone else is like, you know, one, ep- two episode or one movie. Two movies, one episode arc for Khan, right? You've got um, eight episodes for Q in, deep, in Next Generation. If you add Voyager I, I think and think 9 you have more. Q has a little more development because of how they do him over the span of decades, right? You know, mm-hmm. we get... <clears throat> but and Seska's only in nine episodes. But Gold Ducott's in thirty-five episodes of Deep Space Nine, so he's they give him a lot.
0: They do, they do. And but but I, I don't know. I think Q I find more fascinating and like I enjoy Q. So if it he's came not down a villain. To Q versus Dukat, I'd probably vote Q.
2: He's not uh, a villain.
0: That's what you guys think. I,
2: I I really don't think he's a villain. I I mean I think I think villain
0: is such like a a tentative term, right? Basically, it's the main antagonist in the in the series, and and Q positions himself as an antagonist quite a lot. So, uh, but y'all had this discussion last week, and I, I don't want to know to why they don't it.
2: have uh, Kai Win in any of this. What is that?
0: Right. Yes, I think she should have. And I want to first. This is also first Marj Kala erasure. Uh, <laughs>
2: Why why don't they have maj Cola? This is an outrage. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> I I think I think species 8472 could also like uh like yeah. have have some actual actual legitimate claim. So Yeah. And I
2: think they're wanting to go maybe the reason they didn't do that is cuz there isn't a there is no individual eight species individual uh representation of species right. 8472. They're all just lumped into
0: <clears throat> you know, so um, let's 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 get back to worst case scenario and talk a little bit about the back end of this episode because it changes pretty dramatically when basically it starts out like we don't know what's going on. It's kind of actiony for the first two acts, then Act Three we find out that, oh, this is a hollow novel written by two Then there's all this hilarious hijinks, kind of fun stuff where everyone's giving suggestions, like y'all were saying, and the fourth act. Is Tom and Tuvok going into the holodeck and finding out about Seska's modifications?
2: Well, and I love the, and it takes them a while to get into this new, um, this new feeling for the episode because you know when Seska says, "You've got ten seconds to run." They just stand there looking at each other, startled for a couple of seconds. And then they try to like talk for about six more seconds. And then they're like, oh, and they crap their pants and run. So it's just like, <laughs> I'm like just believe her. <laughs> like Just run. And then you guys, while you're running, you can be like, uh, to walk to Janeway. <laughs> you know, like, Let's try. <laughs> Computer, end program, but start running first. Yeah, I just right. thought that was pretty funny how long it took them to actually run.
0: Well, and did you also notice that the Voyager had both styles of um, phaser or phaser rifle in the in the holodeck novel? So in the I beginning, they had the one which which has the like two, you know, it's it kind of like the shark teeth at the end. It's kind of mm-hmm. the giant one that uh, that you kind of hold underneath your or by your hip, kind of. Oh yeah. And then at the end, the, the one that malfunctions on Janeway is the is the one that they have at first contact. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, that's the, a good the point. dildo rifle.
2: Uh, <laughs> I've never actually, heard it called that before.
0: <laughs> I don't. I, no, I don't think it was quite that one, but it, it's the one which has kind of like the a little bit
1: more of a, a suggestive shape, for sure. <laughs> I don't know that I think about it that way, but but yes, I, I know what you're talking about now. <laughs> uh, yeah. So
0: so so the, both of those are featured, but at the uh, when when Seska comes in, she has. She's using the kind of the newer version, and she is as you as you guys are saying. She makes walk and Paris run through the ship. I just love the scene in the in the sick bay, and it's kind of like ridiculous how she, Seska has basically programmed everybody in the ship to be mean to to, to yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which is is such a funny. Like everyone talks about, like oh the. Uh, your story is so compelling. It's so it's so well written. <laughs> when, when Seska does it, it's just like everyone's mean to you <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, right. She
2: doesn't. She's not very. She's not a very skilled author. <laughs> it's like, Speaking and
1: then author... there's plasma that is in front of you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the uh, you got you gotta you gotta also give it up for Jane Janeway for being a crack on the spot, uh, hollow novel author.
2: Yes, oh, because yeah. Janeway's awesome. She's
0: the best. She's th- that's how they basically defeat Seska. Is basically the narrative subroutines are open, so you can like start rewriting characters and sequences.
2: I enjoyed that. I think they should have done some funnier things. They could have done some really funny things with that, but maybe they didn't want to take away from how you know they'd upped the ante here at the end.
0: So. Yeah, the stakes at the end seemed very high, and they... although the
2: words on the screen were pretty hilarious, <laughs> the
1: big font. Uh-huh. Anyway. Seska will never find out that how how did she know. <laughs>
0: So, what did you all think about the the whole conceit of turning Chakotay into a good guy to like try and foil Seska?
1: I mean, I I thought that was that was interesting in terms of um, like what else can they do? Uh, so, I I I thought that that was uh, that was kind of like a, a a cool development there. But yeah, I guess Seska then solved it it's just like I'm going to murder literally everybody and then i'm gonna show you but i'm gonna i'm going to do it with a speech first or like counting down so I feel that you like, still have a chance to do something
2: i feel like chakotay is the only one that they could do that with though because he's the one that could have lasted the longest because of Se- the thing that seska had for him you know like she wants to mm-hmm. keep him around because you know that kind of strokes her ego if he's like in love with her and you know wants to be with her and all that stuff
1: well and, it, and i think in in general like Maybe I would have like I liked the development of having the uh, I for uh, I forgot the name of the other species that they went to to visit at the beginning. Um,
2: Rokan or the... Rakani, uh, <laughs> but they
1: um, I thought it was interesting using like real world elements uh, as far or not exactly real world, but like trying to introduce other variables into it by like having someone else attack Voyager. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a, that was like a cool development and. Felt like they could have done more with that, but uh uh yeah, I, I also understand that it it was like the second half of the episode and so we just needed to kind of wrap things up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was kind of rapidly approaching the forty minute mark.
2: Yeah, it was like nine minutes of the episode were that, you know, it was just And
1: then we just had to like shit on Harry Cam at the end and then shit on Neil. <laughs> oh, <Harry>. and... <laughs>
2: <laughs> Once an ensign, always an ensign.
1: I just, by the way, speaking of Neelix, I just
0: love the part at the beginning where he's like taking cover in the sick bay and then immediately
2: switches sides, or <laughs> yeah. in the mess hall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. And, but it was true. Like, but what? What? Um. But I also appreciated Neelix saying, "I don't feel that was a fair treatment of my character. I would never betray Captain Janeway that way." And that's true. Neelix that's wouldn't. True. Yeah. And it's also Neelix. Um, uh. Ethan Phillips has said that he always played Neelix as though he was in love with Janeway. Like, oh. that's just kind of how oh, he, that was a little something in the back of his mind when he was playing the character. So I just, I appreciated that they let his character say, like, I would never turn my back on her. <laughs> you know, I would never, well, I would never go against her.
0: Well, it's interesting because that this is like, you can see that this is maybe Tuvok's original impression of what Neelix and some of the other members of the crew were mm-hmm. like. So he assumed yep. that Neelix was like a slippery character who would like betray the crew when given mm. a chance to. So it kind of makes sense in that context. But yeah, He was totally sure. right about Seska. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so we... At the end of this episode, basically, it's it's Tuvok kind of choosing to do the unexpected, which is essentially what Paris tells him to do, is you always got to do the unexpected. That's what audiences love. That's how they defeat Seska. So... How what y'all feel about the resolution of this episode? Basically, the overloaded rifle taking Seska down, much the way that she had taken our Janeway earlier.
2: I kind of knew that's what was going to happen, but maybe it's because I've seen the episode before. But it's like the way he was changing the settings. I'm like, he's totally setting it to overload so that when Seska takes the rifle back, she's going to die.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, I I mean I I thought it was a it was a neat way to like uh. Resolve it, and and I guess also uses his uh, like he probably knew from dictates of poetics that she was going to now shoot them, uh, and and that she would uh, absolutely like take the phaser rifle and and do that. So I I thought it was uh, in in terms of Tuvok being the person to have that be the resolution. I think that makes sense. Yeah, it follows inexorably from his character as well. Yeah, good old Tahan
0: uh, writing the
1: episode <laughs> itself.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think it does make sense. Also, as the tactical officer, he's got the smarts. He knows in a in a situation like this how to like make the most of how to get them out of that. So it kind of makes sense that he would be the one who resolves it for them. Mm -hmm. Well. I think that's about it. I don't know if there's much more we can really discuss about worst case scenario. It is kind of like a very compact episode and there aren't like too many like story branches or anything like that. I guess the only other point I'll say is that this kind of tees up several episodes, at least two other episodes in the future, in Voyager, Author, Author and Tinker T- Tailor Soldier Spy, where the doctor is writing hollow novels and Paris is helping him do that.
2: Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, and I uh, I I I will say I I think that this was a very effective like uh mix around of the usual Holodeck episode storyline. Like we we uh, obviously Voyager did a bazillion of these, but so did TNG. And I I thought it was um this one felt nice that it, it felt a little bit unique because it it's sort of like they fake out that it's a uh, that it's a holodeck story. And then it sort of turns into like a comedy about holodeck stories and people trying to rewrite them. And then it becomes like the we're trapped in the holodeck uh, storyline. But they happen like all in the same episode, mm-hmm. which uh, at least felt more engaging to me than some of the uh, uh, other ones where they get locked in the safeties turn off and blah, blah, blah.
0: All right, well with that Adam, I feel like you're ready to give us a rating. So let's do strange new ratings. When you stick your neck out and give this episode a rating.
1: Yeah, but based on what I what I just said and like a little bit of my confusion at the beginning uh not I was fully fully in the 90s mode. Uh <laughs> I I think that this one's uh just a, a solid episode. So I'm, I'm going to give it an 8. Uh and uh, I and that's only because it it like reminds me some of my other frustrations and uh uh but yeah it, it's a uh just all-around solid episode and a, a fun revisit of the holodeck that felt a little bit different
0: i'm gonna go with the seven and a half i think that there it's it's a good episode but there's not a lot of complexity here it's just very linear in its plot and i I wish that there was just a little bit more consistency in the theme, whether it was action or humor or whatever. I wish they'd stuck to it a little bit closer. So I'm going to give it a seven and a half.
2: I'm just going to give it a four out of five. I mean, I thought it was a good episode. It was fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah yeah i think this is this is emblematic of voyager like it's not like it's not like deeply affecting us in any way we kind of enjoyed it but it's not yeah. like this is going to be like it's not going to hit any like best of star trek episode lists or anything it's just solid
2: yeah um, yeah, I feel yeah like
0: yeah. that like most of voyagers kind of like that we're just like oh, okay mm-hmm. it's it's all in the background cool it's that episode all right i'll watch it <laughs> um, so so yeah well, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Emily, for actually being here to speak with me. So I'm not just sitting in a car wishing I was speaking
1: to you. <laughs> well, <it's laughs> started, right?
2: Glad to be here. Thanks, yeah, Notch. Thanks
1: for being here, Notch. And for uh yeah. So sorry, uh sorry for everyone else who on our on our team who is now wanting to contribute and Shouting their opinions. <laughs> yeah. Into yeah. The void. yeah. Bill and Rudy,
0: wherever y'all are, whatever y'all are doing. I hope y'all have a good time. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see you on the on the podcast again soon. Dear listeners, thanks for making time for us this week. We really appreciate you adding us to your podcast or rotation. And uh, thank you just to Gua for recording our theme music. We always appreciate having you strum away on that guitar. And special thanks this week to that dude with the scar who came onto the bridge to deliver the pad that Chakotay, you know, used <laughs> as like you know, the dude looked like perfectly evil enough where it was like too, even Tuvok was like, why is this evil-looking guy handing to <laughs> sama some, something? This is clearly suspicious.
2: Does everyone else hear that eerie that that foreboding music? That's
1: <laughs> yeah, <coming okay>.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so so special thanks to that guy for teeing up what we came next. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.